and welcome back to another On Coaching Podcast with Magnus and Marcus. I'm Steve Magnus, Deputy Director of High Performance West, joined by my good friend John Marcus, Director of High Performance West, and we have some exciting news. We have a sponsor for yes, the podcast. Yes, we do. Oh my goodness. Actually, legitimate sponsor. This is awesome. And you know what? We're here to give the people what they want, and since we were very fortunate enough to have a sponsor come in and give us a little money we're gonna give you guys money too so everyone's getting money it's great <laughs> i love it so who's our sponsor you might ask it is health iq an insurance company that helps health conscious people like you and i runners cyclists other weightlifters whatever have you get lower rates on their life insurance so i think and who doesn't want more life. I want more life. I, Don't I you do want too. more life? Life's... I do too. <laughs> awesome. And, you know, the cool thing about this company, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, like, you guys are living healthy lifestyles. We're promoting that. So we're going to give you, you know, some uh, savings on um, life insurance. So you can do us a favor by going to healthiq.com slash on coaching and check things out that would be great and uh we really feel like we, we've it. hit the big time we have our own like backslash on a you know i know another website we'll this also, is pretty cool we'll also include this link on science of running and uh high performance west if you want to go there but again check it out it really helps us and it will help you too right john oh and thank you thank you thank you for making this possible so what we're going to do is we're actually give money to you guys because without you we wouldn't have the sponsorship so we're going to give away one hundred dollars to two people and then we're also going to give those two people another hundred dollars to give to someone else that's the caveat so you'll basically you'll get a hundred bucks and then you'll tell us who to give a hundred bucks to so we'll have this link on highperformancewest.com it'll just say a hundred dollars you go in there fill out the form there'll be an optional blurb that may or may not help you by law i can't say it will help you but it'll give us a little bit more context and then we'll pick two people at random um we're going to end the uh contest or entry for the contest on april 2nd because i don't want anyone to feel like they're getting fooled on april 1st so it'll run at highperformancewest.com till april 2nd and then we'll announce who our winners are and we'll send you guys some cash and then we'll send two people or a a person you pick cash so again this is our thank you to you that we finally have been able to leverage a sponsor and one that actually uh has some integrity we've had other people come to us before and they just didn't fit who and resonated we are and what we're about but health iq does again who doesn't want more life i want more life life's great so please you know do us a favor by if you're in that market thinking about it use the promo code on coaching and get after it get more life all right and that brings us to something that gives us all life long runs yes the life of the long run i love it that's right so on this episode we're gonna go through long runs all different kinds of long runs different types how i utilize them how john utilizes them maybe the different ways we emphasize them and um yeah, so where where in the world do we start on this? Let, let's start well, with... Let, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say historical. Let's start at the beginning, right? You know, I guess that's true. Um, if you've been following along on the High Performance West Scholar Supreme program, thank you for those guys. 
you know that we just went through a history of training. And in that history of training, we talked about a little bit of where long runs came from. And believe it or not, they started out as long walks. Yeah, so that's what I love about it. Long, like two to three hour walks. Yeah. Awesome. And what's interesting is of that, they evolved into these long runs, right? And I think if we fast forward through training a little bit, I think the one person to really popularize them was actually Lydiard, right? Because he Mm -hmm. had these famous like 18 to 22 mile runs on this uh, famous hilly course. Warua. Yeah, there you go. Warua, yes. And it became almost like the test, right? The testament of is your conditioning, your base training going well? Um, then you can nail Quick this. Aside here, I think I think actually Ron Clark holds the twenty mile long run record on Wawa. I might be totally wrong here, but I remember at least reading in the Unforgiving Minute, like Clarky went out with Lydiard and you know um, Halberg and Snell and those guys and ran this fame Wawa and just destroyed them all. <laughs> it's it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, and respect to Clark, one of the all time goats you know, multiple world records. Um, you can believe the story. But even he said it was a very taxing long run because it's undulating, it's hilly, it gets hillier towards the end, and you, you know, progressively picked up the pace. At least that was the philosophy of it when Lillard and his, uh, you know, band of merry men um, executed that run. Which is, I think, an important point because a lot of times people just think long run and uh, think long, slow distance getting in the volume, Right. But the, mm-hmm. the original intent was they were pretty dang quality driven, right? Yeah. Well, let's let's yeah let's put a pin in that. I mean, you know, Lydiard to Lydiard and everyone during that time period, even Bowerman, yeah. you know, where this LSD thing came from is slow was relative. Slow was considered, you know, up to seven minute pace. Slow was about five thirty to seven minute pace. That was slow. So when we say and you know. When you say long, slow distance, it has been come popularized, I believe, by, you know, um, uh, like uh, different, uh, more popular, or I forget off the top, top of the name, like Hal Higginson, is that the yeah, correct name? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think Hal was the one who popularized it going even slower, like the penguin, right? So uh, I forget the penguin's name, John Anderson, maybe. Um, but that was the idea, is like it's open for anybody. So what that was, was this emerging of jogging and emerging of fitness culture and running to say long, slow distance isn't, you know, this six minute mile pace run. It's actually any pace run, just as long as you have time on the feet, it's better than being on the couch. So we've kind of evolved to that concept that it's supposed to be this plotting when actually it was by a lot of people's context now, its own tempo run. Yeah, long exactly. Run. I think that's one of the things that's misunderstood. You know, actually, again, not to pump our own high-performance West programs, but I sent out a thing today listing, um, or sending out one soon, listing the uh, Lydiard's original like effort tables, and I think this mm-hmm. emphasizes it great. So we said, if your best six-mile time, right, because they raced miles back then, was 28 minutes, so 440 pace, right? So 29 low for 10K for those of you. Then one quarter effort. So one quarter effort, which you would think like, oh, that's easy, right? One quarter effort to him meant 30 minutes for that six miles. <laughs> which is... I love it. You know... That's that's, that's honest. That's still going, man. Yeah, that's, you know, that's five minute pace. 
Yeah. That, that is that is That's like, a quarter effort. Yes. Yeah, that's a straight what we'd call a threshold or tempo or whatever you want to call it based on our last or one of our recent podcasts on threshold training. But like mm-hmm. that's a quarter effort. That's quick. And I think that that yeah. it, that is what's lost a little bit and that it, this original you know view of what long distance work was has changed over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're now in the ultra marathon culture where it's, you know, longer, longer is better, more is better mindset. And if you're running ultra marathons, I agree, you have to practice time on the feet. I don't know anything about ultra coaching and context and world. We're trying to actually get Mario Ferrelli back on here to talk about that because it's outside both our domain. But I think when you're talking about marathon training and down, the long run, how you choose to implement it, you have to be very clear about it. it. You know, most people view it as a, or I shouldn't say most people, there can be an opinion to view it as a filler of miles. So you have a weekly miles prescription and you're like, well, I'm going to do a quarter or a third or a fifth of my mile, miles just on one day. I'm just going to run and just run to get those miles in, quote unquote. I, you know, I want to argue that. I want to challenge that view because I don't think it's a, a very effective um, interpretation or utilization of running more miles. You know. Um. Yeah, and, and so <laughs> I, I think there's one key, one key piece of this that is, and you tell me your opinion on this is sure. that I don't think I think we have to get away entirely of having a long run be a percentage of our weekly volume. Yes, without a doubt. <laughs> right? You, you know, far too often you say, oh, my long run should be 20% or 25% or 15%, mm-hmm. whatever the dictate is. And that was kind of the norm through the 90s and 2000s of like, oh, this is how I determine my long run. And I think that's idiotic because I think you have to look at what is the purpose of this long run itself, okay, and then figure it out versus oh, like this fits in on my weekly mileage and this is what I should do because I'm running 100 miles a week. I should have a 20 to 25 mile long run. And if I'm running, you know, 50 miles a week, then it, you know, should be 14 to 15. I think that's missing the boat. Yeah, I mean, more and more and more for me, the highest mileage day that athletes I coach get in is actually workout day. So you can say that a workout day for us is their long run and this is actually um resonates with bill bowerman bill bowerman famously was a quote-unquote low mileage coach and low mileage to him was about 80 miles a week for his middle distance runners that was considered low mileage back in the bowerman era and they would famously have 20 25 mile days where he would do this hybrid system of we're gonna do some fartlek. We're gonna do some intervals, and then we're gonna do a longer, you know, steady tempo type marathon pace in the middle. Bowerman was famous for basically taking like Igloy, um, Finnish fartlek system, and then Lydiard and like hybriding it all up into one session. Wade Bell, you know, the NCAA champion in the 800 and Olympian, I think, in the eight or the 15, famously had 20, 25 mile longer days, workout days, and this holds true for the athletes I work with, you know, they might have a day where warm up, cool down, you know, uh, activation, and then the reps they're doing or the type of workout they're doing totals to be 16, 18 miles. But will they ever go out and run 16, 18 miles if they're, say, like 
a miler or 5k runner just to go run it no never i'll never prescribe it and i've gone away from that because i just found it wasn't that effective instead what i'll do is i'll uh, more look at a medium long run as i call it and to me a medium long run i define that as 60 to 90 minutes somewhere in there because my system is going off of um 30 minute thresholds so zero to 30 30 to 60 and just keeping it there because we know there's different physiological responses when you layer on an extra 30 minutes to um, uh, a run. So I've called medium long runs 60 to 90 minutes, and it's been a lot more effective, but the athlete still gets the volume of running in that they need to get an effective stimulus response and adaptation. And then two, you know, that also can entail like say back to back, right? If you run a workout and then a medium long run, I'll have athletes, you know, who will run 35 miles in a weekend because the workout on Saturday and the medium long run on Sunday cumulatively totaled that amount. And that might be a third of their miles, you know, is in or even in two days. So I think we think it has to be this one outing, like you punch the clock, go to work for the day, and that's it. When the effects that you're trying to get from the long run you know, can be um, lengthened over the course of a couple days if it's packaged in a very intelligent and innovative fashion, or it can be even lengthened throughout a couple of weeks if you have some regularity of um, duration and intensity that you're employing. Yeah, How about you, Steve? I, I think the what you hit on right there is the effects, right? And mm-hmm. what what effect are you looking for? And there's a myriad of ways to get that effect. You know, one of the things you mentioned there that I also like to do sometimes is is by utilizing fatigue, we can get to that place without having to just go, you know, run 18 miles of a long run, right? Because yeah. if I know mm-hmm. that the evening before they did a hard session and all this other stuff, then... I know that um, they're going to be fatigued going into that morning workout, even if we manipulate maybe even food and carbohydrate intake even more so. So I can get an effect without having as high of a volume on there or without, you know, it being a sustained volume. So I think we have to look at things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think people argue what's the effect of a long run, right? So it's, you know, the physiological effect. People are talking about, like, building capillary beds, mitochondria, you know, et cetera, like basically getting the cardiovascular tissues, blood and muscle um, systems and how they work in harmony stronger. And there is very legitimate proof that running more does that. You know, um, Steve and I are by no means advocating this low mileage program, you know, and never touching a long run. But, you know, if you're in a pre-fatigue state, you don't need to go as long. And the other thing you have to be wary and cognizant of is structural integrity issues with forms and biomechanics. You know, Steve and I, as we've studied up and gone through the material for uh, the Supreme Scholar program that we're running now with this history of training and really understanding deeply and critically uh, the coaches and training methods, you know, of the early 1900s and the golden years of distance running in the 1950s and 1980s is these coaches were meticulous about biomechanics. They cared a lot about it. I mean, you name it. Lydiard, you know, with his bounding, Bowerman would employ world-class biomechanists. Like, these people understood, these coaches, these pillars that we look to understood it wasn't just 
how much you run, it's also how you ran that mattered. And so there would be a lot of that rehearsal and bettering of mechanics so that they could do these longer runs. And I think we forget and sometimes just pay lip service to or um, you know, don't respect the intensity of uh, skill and acumen that these runners had, just how they moved their body. And so you know, to argue to say Vern Gambetta or Dan, Dan Passpoint, it's junk miles or miles which are just done for the sake of being done, not with a very clear specific intent and purpose behind. And also that puts you on that teeter-totter of potentially getting hurt from habitual overuse in a movement pattern or improper structural loading because of whatever it may be, weak posture, weak hips, asymmetries, etc. that then rapidly increase your disposition to injury. And I think that's where you want to tread lightly when you think about a long run because if you don't have athletes you're working with that are very structurally sound or move well as we just say you're kind of playing with fire to a certain degree if you're asking them to then run a you know certain number of miles in a fatigued and exponentially increasing fatigue state i've seen more athletes get injured in my experience with too liberal or too long of a long run that they weren't prepared for structurally than you know, doing workouts on the track. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think this is where, you know, we agree and disagree on certain things on the long run, which is uh, we'll get into a little bit. But I, I think it's I think the point that we're all getting at here is that you have to know the purpose of what the long run is. And I think far too long, perhaps because of the success of Lydiard and the misunderstanding of it, we've just inserted this weekly Saturday or Sunday long run without too much thought into it. And mm-hmm. my perspective is that a long run is is obviously not a bad thing. It has its place. It is good. Um, but it shouldn't be the, the box that we check off, right? It shouldn't be like, oh, it's Saturday or it's Sunday. Like, it's the church of the Sunday long run. Like, let's. Yeah, you don't necessarily need a long run every seven yeah. days. <laughs> it, it, exactly. That's the other thing is like, and I've had to get some of my athletes, both college and professional, out of that mindset sometimes because they'll sit there and think like, oh, but it's Sunday. Like, I need, I need the long run, and I'll say, no, that's mm-hmm. that's no, you don't this week, right? We did mm-hmm. one last week. Like, we've got that benefit. We need this other thing. Um, more importantly right now so let's do that and I think that having an appreciation and understanding for that is incredibly important the other part of it is like what is the point of it right is it all those aerobic physiological stuff is it structural biomechanically in terms of for the marathon maybe right do am I trying to get this athlete used to um, that much pounding or that much mechanical stress or that much mental stress even like is that mm. the point or on the opposite end like for example some of my um, well I'll give you Mark English for example most of his quote unquote easy runs are about 30 minutes in length so they're not very high volume and then during the base phase like we might do like one 70 minute run every two weeks why because it's a way to knock out some sort of aerobic work right but not putting too much stress on him on on him uh over the the you know weekly accumulated work load. so yeah it, and i'll reaffirm that with like michaela fricker again too flat a woman that i coach same deal 
like when I start writing, ooh, 40 minutes recovery run or 40 minute run, like, ooh, that's, that's a lot, <laughs> you know, and her long run won't be, yeah, we'll hit one 70 minute run, maybe once or, I think she's in a 70 minute, like the long run we'll do, and that's, that's in the base thing that goes quickly. So, you know, just to reaffirm, like, you have to decide what's the long run for in yes. your training program with each athlete. Not, I have to have a long run as a blanket thing for every single person I coach, you know, because again, long is a relative term. Middle distance runners, we said 60 minutes is long. For the marathoner, a three-hour run might be a long run. Exactly. And I think that's, that's a good point, too. And I think the other thing is, like, there's different ways to get the same adaptation. So, for example, in the past, I've experimented with including strength circuits within a long run right for mm -hmm, yeah. a, a middle distance athlete maybe you don't want them to go out and run 80 minutes but maybe you can get 30 minutes and then 20 minutes of a strength circuit and then another 20 minutes tacked on and all of a sudden you have you know um 80 minutes worth of aerobic activity but it wasn't all pounding yeah, I've stolen this from Mark Rowland's coach, actually, because Mark Rowland, the coach of OTC, was famous for, he was a low-mileage uh, mindset-type middle-distance runner, steeplechaser, and his coach would fool him into doing medium long runs or long runs by running for four miles, going to the track, and then doing eight times 200s or 12 times 200 with 200 jog, so that two to three miles on the track, then send them out for another five to seven miles of running. You know, you add all that up, that adds up to about, you know, 90 minutes or plus, give or take, um, on your feet. But he broke it up with this 200-meter drill just to kind of keep the athlete um, engaged rather than just falling asleep and just slogging through it. So, you know, and I, that's something I frequently use with my middle distance athletes. Instead of a medium long run, they'll do it, and we call it the, the, this Commonwealth drill to name it after the British coach. And, um, you know, from where it came and it can be 200s, it can be 300s, it can be 400s, you know, like 200s just at like mile pace or 3k pace or 300, same deal, but not this crazy session, but just enough just to break it up. But the whole goal is you preface it and then, you know, extend it with longer bits of running. It's not a workout workout. It's just, just something to break it up on the track and then continue to run. Exactly. And, you know, my high school coach was, um, really good at using that in, in terms of races as well. Like wh when we had, because in high school you race a, a lot, like every weekend. So when he knew we hadn't gotten in a longer run for a while, he'd send us on like a five, six mile cool down after our you know second race of the day, let's say. And we'd end up getting in because of that and warm ups and racing and cool downs, maybe... 10 to 12 miles in for that day and he knew like okay this is and a lot of it was post fatigue and he knew mm -hmm. okay this is a way i'm gonna sneak in some quality aerobic like long easy running to get that effect where i don't have to spend one of my valuable days of training doing this yes no the extended cooldown after a workout or an early season race that is gold <laughs> i use that all the time like it's you get, you're in this hyper, because the whole goal of the long run, right, is extend comfort, extend boundaries, extend extend growth, right? Step outside the comfort zone. So you're really running to the point of 
where the last you know three to four miles are difficult or in that fatigue state well you've already done that with a workout like why not just say hey guys all right we did a workout and now we have you know another five to six miles of extent what i call extended cool down yes the athletes look at me and go oh coach <sighs> but i'm like well it's either that or we come back and you then have to do this long long run on whatever day relative for your event group and they're like all right this is better i'm here i'm here right now i might as well just go get it over done with and again i'm able to leverage the same response and the same stimulus in that extended cooldown it's almost like a double bang for your buck you get the stimulus that you got and tried to appreciate in the workout and then you're able after that's all done settled with couple it with this stimulus that you ideally are trying to get um a reaction to from your long run within the session so so very potent again if you do this though i mean you're then kind of handcuffed to two to three days a very easy yeah. gentle recovery because it's going to take a lot out of the athlete and you just have to know that going in but that as we know in the recovery windows where all the fruit of the labor is produced so it, it gives you even more leverage to say hey guys really easy 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 and you don't even have to bat an eye because you've already gotten these two elements that you wanted your specific workout element and then your long run element banged out or if you're ticking your boxes off in one session so now you get to do you know with the peak performance level here stress plus rest equals growth now we're getting good at like shameless plugs that's awesome <laughs> no, this is great <laughs> we're getting better guys no but yeah so to me it just is a more efficient and more effective way to go about um paying homage to these really important uh stimulus that you you want to expose an athlete to yeah, exactly. I, and I think that's that's what makes this stuff interesting and what makes coaching interesting is there's there's a million ways to skin the cat, right? And a lot of times we get stuck on these, you know, tried and true ways that everybody does. But if we step outside and realize the, you know, um, all the options we have, it allows for us to get creative and become better coaches in doing so. So... Let's let's dive into some of the specifics and different ways on maybe how you approach long runs, modulate them, the quality of mm. them, and we can kind of have a back mm-hmm. and forth there. Yeah, no, I, I've gotten more. To, I, I used to just run, you know. I used to just go and run, run as you feel. I mean, typical college, right? Every college, you know, athlete I know, like, what'd you do? You did 18, 20 mile long runs, and it ended up being like six minute pace, just because that was the the way it's done. Um, at least in the early 2000s, that was it for me. So that was my exposure to long run. My first exposure actually was with um, Alberto Salazar, and we'd have, uh, again, I've, we've talked about this before, this Alice Palace group that was myself, Galen Rupp, Joaquin Chapa, um, you know, and a bunch of other local elite uh, high school athletes at the turn of the 2000s. And our staple was this 10-mile progressive long run that galen would end up racing at the very end uh he was a big racer in practice type kid when he was younger um out on, out on back on leaf erickson here in portland and the first half of it all uphill and the second half is all downhill so you, no matter what you're negative splitting this thing but um it would just be this 
kind of just hammer fest and like thing of attrition who could run the fastest and you know Alberto totally encouraged it and it would end up being a second workout and one thing that I, I pointed to towards the hardest workout I did as a high schooler but that got me really fit because it was the newest stimulus the hardest session that I ever had and it was very organic as well we just it's kind of the will of the group you know and everyone just try to keep pace with everyone else I mean, those things would be epic. We'd finish coming down this steep downhill. So this is all relative, though, like 440 miles. But it is, you're going downhill. Um, so you're getting gravity to help you. But that was my initial exposure to it. And then as I became a coach, it took a long time to just, you know, get away from the fact that it had to be this hammer fest. And then I started to think more um, uh, critical about it. And now long runs for me are a... Um, like pro, uh, kind of a disciplined progression of some sorts, whether it's either a sandwich long run. And what I mean by that, let's say for Tara Walling right now, she's coming back and so she's doing, you know, five miles and then she just kind of picks it up and runs five miles at an up-tempo, very organic, as she feels type rhythm just to kind of, you know, get her bearings about her and then finishes with another five miles. So it's like five, 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 right? Like Arby's or something. Um, but, the, you know, it's a sandwich, and so that way, too, you get a lot of bang for your buck rather than saying I have to do these 20-mile sessions. Or for like the middle distance athlete, what I'll do now is in their medium long run is have some fartlek in the middle. So one minute on, one minute off, and have them do like um, anywhere from two to three sets of six times one minute on, one minute off with a little bit of a longer break. So now they're getting 12 minutes of speed play as they feel in the middle to kind of break up the monotony. So more I've become a proponent of, at least with the caliber of athlete I'm working with these days, injecting a little bit of quality and giving more autonomy to kind of pick it up and play around with it, but then to always sandwiching it. You know, I don't really like ending fast. You know, if they do end faster, I'll typically tack on another 10 to 20 minutes of just gentle running to kind of get that cool down effect that we want rather than leaving them in the sympathetic state where it's like, I just smashed the end here, you know? So th that for me is like where I've progressed to with my long run. The one thing I am, you know, I'll get on my soapbox here. The one thing that I, you know, do not, not a fan of, it's too high of a cost benefit ratio to, for me, it's too risky. You know, I understand the science and I respect people and coaches who do it, but never, never ever is this thing, this long run that is popular in marathon culture of depletion runs. This is where you go in and kind of starve yourself a little bit from a glycogen standpoint. So you go in with a low low degree of fuel. You don't drink any water or take any anything. You just run and you just, it's like, to me, I'm like, oh, that is so hard on the body. <laughs> and I get why people do it. But, uh, you know, that's one thing where I'm just like, nope, not happening ever. Because again, you're, you're risking, in my opinion, too much stress and not enough stimulus and that's the thing as a coach you always have to think about how much stress are you risking for the stimulus you're trying to get and then make decisions thusly you know one of the interesting because i've i've played around with that especially in the long runs and one of the interesting ways we attack that of getting that stimulus without going in fully depleted um and we use this with or i use this with sarah hall for a couple marathons is she would just do double workouts right so mm -hmm. in the morning we do like maybe a four 
four to six mile tempo and then she'd eat in between but like not a full like carbohydrate like you know recovery drink just like normal food right yeah and then Mm -hmm. she'd come back in the afternoon and do like a secondary moderate workout or even we did some stuff with um some workout on the bike actually to get some turnover where that second workout is now in a somewhat depleted state because we know based on research that you can't fully replenish glycogen and all that stuff in you know six hours right oh yeah no Mm -hmm. so um that was our way of trying to get a little bit of that effect without going like full bore into no drinking no eating no etc the other thing that i will say on this is you can get that effect a lot by just doing your normal training runs without eating breakfast before (laughs) right like yeah i mean my 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 thing with that is like I, I understand the, 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 you know, it's a cost-benefit ratio. Yeah. Like I understand the like, like glycogen effect, and but also to the cortisol. We know if you don't eat breakfast, and we know like you're already shooting yourself in the foot with cortisol. And more these days, I'm being very so, um, respectful to like parasympathetic and sympathetic states as well, because that I think is un is territory that we as coaches and the distance roles haven't really paid much um and i don't have a, a deep understanding of and we're still exploring and i i think there's something there the jury's still out i'm still experimenting and exploring but more and more i'm also asking that question too with things how does this impact from a sympathetic comparison that's a good system? that's a good point maybe this is a cultural thing because like when you grow up or a location thing when you grow up in houston texas right um <laughs> you never eat breakfast before you run hmm. now, now think about that why why yeah. Because you spend most of your summer, right, knowing that as soon as the sun comes up, you're screwed. So you (laughs) you have to get up super early. And most college kids or high school kids, when you're learning this, this, like, pattern, right, you're not going to get up at 5 a.m. and have something, right? You're just Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to sleep as long as I can. The alarm's going to go off. And then I'm going to get out the door and meet my friends for a run or get to practice and just get things done. So it becomes a habit of not eating anything beforehand, whether that's good or bad, because of the priority of I need to get this in or else this is going to be a hot and humid mess of a run and workout and it's going to suck. Yeah, I mean, and that that state is even worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, than the alternative. So, but I think it's just again, you have to ask why you're doing what you're doing and what are the, the costs you know what's the cost benefit ratio because you, yeah, you're going to give some things away but you don't want to sell the farm by any means and think you're doing something to benefit yourself or the athlete you're working with when actually you're doing something to incur diminished returns yeah so all right so let's uh let's go we've had our kind of offshoot as always into glycogen depletion runs um let's let's go back onto long <laughs> runs a little bit <laughs> And um, it's interesting. So I kind of had a similar upbringing in terms of long runs as you in in the sense that at first they were kind of long and easy, but we had these 10 milers that we do in high school, which were not every week, but, you know, every week, every couple weeks maybe, which were absolutely just cranking and you just finished dying at the end, right? It was... Mm. It was intense. I mean, we always considered as a as a team if we got, you know, the whole team, whole top seven under 60 minutes, and it was a really good day. 
Um, this was mm. on like a oh. a hilly course that our coach basically went to this park, found a five mile loop where he went up and down every single hill um, in the park, which in Houston, Texas, like you have to work to do. So he was working to get every single hill, and that would be our kind of. It, it was like our test workout, right? We all knew how fast everyone ran. Everyone knew, like, the leaderboard of, like, oh, you know, you ran 55 minutes? Like, dang, that's fast, right? Um, and it became, like, a proving ground. So it quickly turned into, like, this is the 10-miler, and that meant, like, show up. And it was interesting because, like, I think our coach's idea was almost to take a little bit of that Lydia desk uh you know, this is the course, this is the standard set, and to bring that into a high school stage, and I guess he figured 10 miles was the distance to do it. Um, so uh, that really kind of shaped my understanding of of two contrasting long runs, one being a long, easy one, but w- the other being an immensely high quality um, of a long run. And then from there, what I've kind of done is like brought all those qualities together a little bit and brought in some modulation of my long runs where I like to alternate between different styles. And that might be one where I'm focused on, okay, the whole goal is let's get the time on our feet, the distance in. I don't really care too much about pace. Like maybe it's a little bit of recovery. Maybe it's a little bit moderate. Like just kind of feel it out. Your kind of traditional college Mm -hmm. long run. And then the other one I like to do is what I call long run with stuff in it, which is similar to your, your fartlek work, where we add right. a little bit of quality, where it might be, hey, we're going to do 10 by 45 second surge somewhere in the middle of, the, of this, right? Or mm-hmm. the last three miles or last 20 minutes, I want you guys to just ramp it down, like just, just progress and then take a mile and jog easy afterwards. So you're adding some sort of quality. And I've even done stuff where we've had, you know, some up and down hills in the middle of it. You know, 8 by 30 seconds up with a jog downhill at maybe 5K effort. So just getting a little bit of quality in there, but not an actual full-blown workout. And then the last thing is a long run that is actually a workout. And these tend to go for the marathoners and maybe half marathon a little bit, where you're actually doing some sort of, workout sandwiched you know um in the middle of a long run where it's not just some stuff but maybe an actual you know two by four mile of marathon pace or tempo or something like that where it's much higher quality um and you know that coming in and going off so you need more recovery coming off of it so i i tend to especially for middle distance athletes and maybe up to track distance 5k 10k i tend to alternate between something of easy and then the next week or the next time we do long long run something with stuff and that way i think i i get maybe the best of both worlds or i'm covering my bases enough um on those two components yeah i mean training also too should be you know have be fun have enjoyment that's one of bowerman's principles right so for me like say with a true purebred 100 meter runner I would never have them do a long run of stuff because getting them to do a long run and just you know have a longer run for them, 60 minutes, 70 minutes, and doing it, 
that that's asking enough. <laughs> you know, that's about as much of an ask as I can get out of them. And I think it's the individualization matters too. Some athletes are working with at the high school or college level or, you know, even um, adult level, they just might enjoy running. Like I've known some milers that I've worked with in high school. They just like running in the woods and they'd be like, oh, coach, can I go for like two hours? I'm like, yeah, I mean, as long as you don't overdo it and as long as you don't, you know, make it too difficult. And I'm always like, I remind them coming back on this day, you want to be prepared and ready to go for this workout or whatever it might be. So letting them know like what time they have between that run in their training program and the next important effort and saying, okay, can you appropriate your energy or appropriate your effort today um, correctly so that you will not be compromised for this next important effort? And that's too just a philosophical thing for me is just helping to remind people like, don't go all the way to the well unless, you know, it's one of those see God workouts of, you know, Steve Magnus fame. Unless, because we got to come, you're, you know, designed or wanting to come back these many days later and race, do another workout, do another long run too. So provide that overall framework and context. But for me, my general rule of thumb is the more novice or newer athlete, so someone with a training age of zero to four years, just run, just run, baby, just longer time on the feet. That's good enough, man. And then when you get above that training age of four years, so after they quote unquote graduated, you know, if we're thinking in the scholastic system here, four to eight years, yeah, you can, then that's when, yeah, you can start to maybe do this Magnus model where, you know, you alternate stuff and just run, right? And then for me, after that eight year threshold, they've been running a little while, they've been subject to a lost stimulus, they know long runs, they have eight years of long runs in their legs. That's when the new stimulus of like, all right, we need to do this longer running, but with some variation of some sort with stuff. To me, that's where it's a clear signal of this type of person needs every longer run or run that has this more voluminous and global mileage have stuff in between so they can get that stimulus. And again, it's not a hard and fast blanket rule by any means, but it's a guiding heuristic for me when I'm considering the person in front of me and their goals and what they're trying to do and when creating a program for them. Yeah, I think that's a good point in the sense that you always have to look at how are we manipulating the stimulus that they need to adapt to. And early on, I call it the the clean slate phenomenon, right? If you give me a high school kid, I can throw anything at him and he's going to adapt to it. So why don't I start with the very simplest thing I can do? Like why jump to, you know, calculus when I can do um, addition and subtra- subtraction. Yeah, right? Right. They're not, it's going to just be over their head. They're not going to pass the test. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, like, don't get fancy with it. Just give them what they need to and what they adapt to, and as they kind of prove that, then you start adding complexity to it. And I think that's why if you look at some of the elite trainings, you'll see slightly more complexity within things, right? It's no longer, hey, go run 13 miles, but it's, you know go do this workout or this long run that encompasses maybe that distance, but you've got this fart lick within it because you're adding additional Like Rento Canova's stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah. if you look at like Rento's, that's Picasso doing cubism. That is so avant-garde, the highest level. I mean, you know, I've been fortunate enough to like have a conversation with Canova for like a couple hours here and there at conferences and what have you. And 
man, he is just on a whole nother wavelength. It's pretty darn impressive. And he's, he's a master of craft. But yeah. we have access to him because he thankfully shares very liberally and freely. But then a lot of people look to that as an anchor of sorts. It's like, no, no, no. Like even even me, even I'm like, that's a very interesting. That's very awesome. I can understand what the level of athlete he's working with. He's trying to move men to break two hours for the marathon. He's trying to move men to be, you know, Olympic champions, like at the, the highest level. I don't think it's wise to think there's any trickle down from what he's doing to be applied to the masses or even the more highly competitive, you know, scholastic runner. Because again, he's working with the outliers of the outliers, people who have survived this very brutal Kenyan system and have, you know, come through through natural selection and shown themselves to be the top of the, the food chain. And that's something to consider too is um, when you're doing that is where you're getting your influence from and what makes sense for the person you're working with in front of you. Yeah, exactly. No, you look at Canova stuff and there is a lot of complexity to it. Um, it is. I mean, it's, 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 it's Picasso and cubism. It's just yeah, like, yeah. you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing too, to like, you know, also reemphasizes the long run works. It works. That's why it's been around in the first, the form of long two or three hour walks. And now to where we are here, where Steve and I are discussing the nuance of different variations of it, but through you know evolution and natural selection and distance training, the long run does work, and long is a relative term. Sepp Co famously, his longest long runs were nine to ten miles. You know, I think his longest run ever was like eleven or something, right? So it's in everyone's program for a reason because it does have a potent yes. effect. Now it's how you. Now we're we're trying to say, okay, think very critically about why it is what it or why you're employing it and how you're employing it and the effect that you're trying to get. And then be able to create some type of evidence that you're getting that effect. Most people's evidence is, well, it's a quarter of my weekly volume. There's the evidence and the importance of it is it's just adding to my global volume per week. And Steve and I are saying, eh, reconsider. Well, because... It, it, yeah, another thing to think about is look at it in terms of the scholastic programs is most of the time what happens, you race on a Friday or Saturday and then you come back and do what? A long run the next day. Mm-hmm. Right? And, yeah. And, and in there, you're all of the sudden um, doing that every week without consideration sometimes for like, what is the stress load that I'm applying? Right. Mm -hmm. Do I need to? It's almost like you have to, right? Because yeah. that's the only day you can do that long of running. Yeah. Without you know the barriers of class, it, you know, or the, the that for the kid. It, exactly, which creates an interesting dilemma and problem is is like I'm I have this constraint around me. Should I always you know give way to it, or should I sometimes you know part ways with the traditional and and see if I can get away with not falling into that pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I was a class coach, I would have sometimes long runs on Monday because if think about this, you race on Saturday and then you have travel. And if you're traveling, or, you know, if travel's a long bus ride, if travel's a long plane ride or a series of plane rides, yeah, you get back at 1, 2, 3 in the morning on Sunday and then you're like, okay, guys, see you at 10 for the long run. Like, it's not going to go well. <laughs> You know, so, I mean, if you can, you can say, hey, guys, we're going to have a long run be on Monday. Maybe not everyone can do it together in the practice format. So you might have to do it on your own. But this is why we're doing it because we're getting a buffer of recovery around or a buffer of restore restoration around it. Right. You know, so it's 
it's important to get out of the church of the Sunday long run mindset just because it's the status quo. Um, and then just have it be on repeat. So like, oh, no matter what, Sunday's the day I do long run. It's okay. But again, think long and hard. Yeah. And well, if like, it stays on Sunday, it stays on Sunday. It's fine. But as long as you've thought long and hard about exactly. it. Exactly. Don't let it, like, you're you're in charge of the schedule. Don't let the schedule dictate to you, right? If you just yeah. always plug in and it's written in, you know, marker long run Sunday, then you're letting that schedule dictate the rest because then you only have a couple days to play with right because you need some sort of recovery Mm -hmm. before and after so just yeah and sometimes like what i've done too is just have instead of like saying oh we have to go long on one day it's like back-to-back medium long runs yeah right exactly so you can do a 90 minute 90 minute day in a row consecutive or again yeah or you could do a midweek um medium long run right after the day after a workout where you get Mm -hmm. something very similar yeah so you know, yeah, I mean, that's you know, what Mark Wetmore in Colorado's claim to fame is they're the one who's popularized that midday medium long run, you know, and it's also been reinforced by say Rob Connor at UP, you know, those af- those coaches will do a workout and then Wednesday is this medium long run, and then Thursday's super chill, super easy man. So yeah. same thing with um, Friday, and then they come back and either race or work out Saturday, and then have a tough longer run session on, or longer run on Sunday. Yep, exactly. So I, I think what we're getting at is that there is many, many ways to skin this cat, and that's not that any of them are better or worse. It just kind of depends on the situation, right? And what you need to do is, and what we're hopefully prompting you to do is to actually take time and deliberately think. Why is this in in my program? No different than you would for, you know, Monday's interval session or, you know, Wednesday's threshold run, whatever it is. Like whenever you put those in the program, you take time to think about it. But a lot of times as coaches, and I know this, we know this because we've been there before and done that, right? Where we don't on the long run, we just kind of take it for granted and just stick it there. And then like move our mental energy towards thinking about the harder sessions. And I think it's worthwhile to just step back and ask yourself, what am I getting out of this? What am I trying to get out of this? And is there a better way to, um, you know, get that same stimulus or, you know, a different way in in some instances to uh, get the stimulus so that my athletes aren't just, you know, going out and running 18 miles every Sunday and getting tired of that? Yeah, I've been really fortunate the last couple months here since we've started you know, kind of the culture of sharing and um, contribution and communication at High Performance West to talk to a lot of coaches who have reached out via direct message or phone call even. And there is a sentiment, and I felt the sentiment too for a long time, that there's all these different energy systems or types of work that we have to do in a week. We have to check the box out. Otherwise, we're disservicing the athlete. And, you know, it's been great to see that morality almost in coaches and that conscious of saying, I want to make sure I'm giving the athlete and the team every opportunity, every, you know, advantage to get better. And that can be sometimes a barrier I found uh, for myself included. And you really have to prioritize, like rank order. This is the thing that really helped clarify for me. I sat down and I ranked ordered different times of year and different um, progressions within the block of training or the periodization phase, if you're still using that model, 
however you conceptualize or structure workouts. But rank order what's the most important thing because there's always going to be conflict. You're always going to have a day where it's like the athlete's sick, you know, something happened, they're on a field trip, whatever, and then they're not able to get that yeah. workout or that day in. But when you rank order for a given block of preparation, the number one thing, and you go one, two, three, four, five, all the way down, then it's easy when you have conflict to make a quick, fast decision. It's a shortcut, right? And so if you have this shortcut in place, you can say, well, I got to decide between doing number five and number three. Done. Do number three. And then just completely move on rather than saying, like, oh, oh, I don't know. I'm so conflicted. I, you know, we need to get this, this component in and we need to get this system a stimulus. And oh, no. And I think sometimes we um, you know, are so fastidious with the desire to inclu- be inclusive of all this as coaches in a weekly or even biweekly um, program or training that we forget, you know, sometimes any stimulus is better than no stimulus, right? <laughs> and and we just got to keep that top of mind and not get too fancy and too cute, but have that rank order prioritization in place. So I can say at different times in the, uh, you know, a season with athletes I'm working with, these are the number one most important things. Number two, number three, and it can all it can be about all the different modalities that you have, like weight training, skills and drills, plyos, yeah. everything. And then you know very quickly, like sometimes for me, having athletes do plyos is more important than their mi- weekly mileage at a certain point in the season. I'm like, well, if it's the difference between you running three extra miles or doing, you know, three extra sets of five of these, you know, box jumps, reactive box jumps. I'm going to have you do three times five of the reactive box jumps because I believe right now that's the more important stimulus. So, so one of the things that I do in my own planning is I write down for each period what my emphasis is, right? What am I emphasizing and what am I solely maintaining? And that serves as my kind of rank order guiding because I just look and I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be emphasizing this. This is what matters to me during this, you know, next three-week block or whatever it is. And that, that you know, acts as that heuristic to say, okay, like if something has to give, then uh, then it shouldn't be this. And I think we've kind of gotten into this model probably th- through emphasis like or from emphasis like Frank Horwell who had like the famous five pace theory where during I don't know what it was 10 days, 2 weeks like you had to hit each type of workout, right? And it's yeah. based on that energy system model almost. And I think that's put us coaches in a place where we're fearful to, you know, get away from anything. But mm-hmm tying this all back together maybe if we look back to Lydia and why he became famous for his long runs right yes he had that three month base conditioning phase where it was a lot of aerobic volume yes he kept the marathon phase yeah, yes yeah yes he kept a long run in during the rest of the periods but why did he keep a long run in during the rest of the period if you look at the training you're looking at five days of quality in the week during his hill conditioning phase, during his interval phase or coordination, co-coordination phase. You literally have something fast or hard like five days a week, right? And he knew because, hey, I'm doing all in his, in his terms, quote unquote, anaerobic work. Then I need something to maintain the aerobic side, which I built up. So this weekly long run is serving that purpose, right? Because he didn't have, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't do it as the modern day as we do modernly and, and mix all these different workouts all in the same week. 
he had a very specific emphasis during his different periods of training. So we knew that long run needed to be there to maintain it. Now our training model has changed a little bit where, you know, sometimes we might have a, you know, a, some long aerobic repeats in there that might check that box instead of having the long run or some sort of progression run or, you know, high end tempo threshold run that might check some of that box. And I think it's important to realize that and to understand that instead of trying to cram everything in there and check check all these boxes um, that might not meet, need to be checked. Yeah, I think, you know, it's getting it's reshaping us from a I have all my bases cover mentality to, okay, what do I want to do to create a distinguishing excellence in this athlete, and given the competition level that they're facing? And, you know, we will, we all want to be prepared. We all want to feel like we left nothing on the table, that we've come and we have everything ready to go. But, you know, that is the thing. Lydiard believed, and I want to reinforce that because it's important, that the marathon was just maintaining the aerobic capacity organs. That's all it was in there for. If he didn't believe that it was just maintaining the strength and integrity, because he thought you had basically this bank account of aerobic to yeah. burn or to reappropriate into the speed. Do not let us not for a second forget Lydiard was a speed coach. He believed speed was just the most important thing, but his path to that was but this marathon phase and then it's maintaining the, of the aerobic engine so to speak through one long run a week so that they could crank speed stuff for another three to four months out of the year five days a week yeah so when we understand that and we respect that and we respect later's approach it starts to be a lot make a lot more clear clarity and you know you see having done a lot of research, you know, and um, having insight into like a little bit of how Jerry Schumacher thinks, he is a Lydiard-based guy through and through. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he related a story to me where he's having Lopez Lemong and Ryan Hill do 6-4-3-2 workout, and they're doing the 600s at 55-54 for the 400-meter pace, for the 600. And everyone looks to Jerry as his strength coach. He's doing speed, but at a certain time of year to get the athlete ready to be able to compete at the world stage. So, you know, it's, this, it's a balance. It's a type of walk. It's an understanding that. And this will hopefully, you know, the value of the podcast today is to get prompt thought into why you're choosing to interpret and use the long run as you do in your program. But also, you know, as Steve and I said, there's a lot of wrong roads, but there's also a lot of right roads to roam. So making sure that you pick a road for the athlete in the um, program that you're are writing and where you're trying to get into and then you understand and you stay on that road rather than getting distracted by false paths or dead ends or things that just might not sync up absolutely so we'll uh we'll let you guys sit on that and think about it a little bit um thanks again to our sponsor health iq you can check that out in the show notes or go to healthiq.com slash on coaching and don't forget our awesome giveaway which can be found at highperformancewest.com paying you guys back for yeah. being loyal listeners um and allowing us or to, the, to the, basically the real sponsors the real sponsors of this podcast yes. is the listener so it's just our thank you to you for yes. like coming on board for three plus years giving us this opportunity giving us this platform and there'll be a tab it'll just be a hundred dollars it's always a hundred dollar tab at highperformancewest.com you can enter you don't have to put a little blurb in there but we'll prompt you with something to encourage a little thought. And 
the sharing that we've gotten before when we did the day one thank you um, was amazing. Steve and I really geeked out and we're really flattered with everyone's messages of thanks. So it, that's the fuel that keeps us going. Not necessarily the sponsorship money stuff, but it's nice to have. And since we have it and we're fortunate enough to have it, we're going to give it back to our people because we're only here because you guys, you know, let us know what you want. 100%. Well, thanks for listening, guys. And don't forget to check all that out.